Welcome to the Sports Spectrum Podcast, where faith and sports collide. Here's your host, Jason Romano. This is episode number 35 of the Sports Spectrum Podcast. Welcome everyone to the show. My name is Jason Romano. We do appreciate you tuning in wherever you are, however you listen to this podcast. We do appreciate you checking us out. And of course, we are available everywhere podcasts are found on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher. And of course, all of our podcasts can be found and all of our content is over at sportspectrum.com where you can become a member for just $36 a year. $36. That's it. That's $3 a month, basically. You spend $3 a day on a coffee and we're talking about $3 a month, $36 for a year to be a member of the Sports Spectrum family where you get our magazine. It's a quarterly magazine. Our newest issue is going to be out in just a couple days here, our football preview issue. And you also get access to all of the content that is available on SportsSpectrum.com. Most of it's free, but there is a lot of archival content. I'm talking about 30 years worth of content with Sports Spectrum, and all of that is available by becoming a member. Uh, It's just $36 for one year. That's all. You can subscribe right at sportspectrum.com to become a member. And that actually helps not just become a member and access to all of our content, but it really does help fund what it takes to put these podcasts together. Um, We provide this podcast to you for free. Um, That's something that we want to do. That's something that we will continue to do, um, as many podcasts are out there. But it takes money. It takes costs. It takes resources. And all that has to come from somewhere. Um, So we definitely would love for you to be a part of that. If you like what you've heard, you can become a partner with us. You can become a member and help be a part of the Sports Spectrum family. So go to sportspectrum.com. Sign up, subscribe, and become our friends, become our partners, and 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 see all of the cool things that we're doing to bring the name of Jesus to as many people as we possibly can. All right, today's guest, James Laurinaitis, is our guest. Three-time consensus All-American linebacker at Ohio State. He played in the NFL from 2009 until last season. In April of this year, April 11th, he announced his retirement from the NFL at the age of 30. Now, James and I crossed paths at the NFL Broadcast Boot Camp, which is held in Mount Laurel, New Jersey, outside of Philadelphia in mid-May. And I was down there teaching a session on social media and sort of best practices and talking to the players about how social media works and the best way to utilize social media for their brands and their purposes And James was there. James was one of the guys to participate in the boot camp as he was preparing for life after football and what that would look like for him as a possible broadcaster. Uh, And we do talk about that. And James has a a job lined up now as a broadcaster. And that's very exciting. I'm looking forward to hearing what he has to say as a analyst. But we talked to James about a lot of different things. The first being, what is life like retiring from the NFL at the age of 30? He probably had a few years left to play. There's a lot of guys that play well into their 30s, and James Laurinaitis chose to retire at the age of 30. So what was that like, stepping away from football? And the NFL season is upon us. In just a few days, the season kicks off, 2017 season. You know, college football, of course, is already underway, which is great. The, a wonderful time of year to, to be a sports fan. But for James, when the NFL season kicks off, He's not going to be a player there. And that's the first time that he hasn't played football or been a member of a football team since he was a little boy. 
So that is a big adjustment, a big life adjustment for him. James also is a man of faith, and we talk about his faith in Christ and when that conversion took place, when he became a Christian, and also his dad. Now, his dad is Road Warrior Animal. Joe is his real name, but they were the part of the duo, the Road Warriors, from the WWE days and WCW and all that in, in the professional wrestling realm. So we talk about that as well and what life is like being the son of a professional wrestler. So without further ado, let's get right to it. This is episode 35 of the Sports Spectrum Podcast with three-time consensus All-American at Ohio State and former NFL linebacker James Larnitis. James, how are you? I'm great, Jason. How are you doing? I'm doing well, man. Thank you so much for uh, joining us here on the podcast. And 30 years old and in retirement. I want to talk about that. You announced your retirement April 11th of 2017. You're only 30 years old. What went into that decision to step away from the game that you played since you were a little boy? Yeah, well, I think I think there was a lot of factors that went into it. Um, for one, my, my body hadn't been feeling really good for about two years. Um, my right knee had started to get some... Um, some cartilage gaps in it and then once you know once you lose cartilage there's only so much you can do to try to uh, offset some of the pain and the grinding and the wear and tear and I think really it just dawned on me carrying my first daughter London up the stairs uh, mid-season when I was still with the Rams um, that going up and down the stairs carrying her hurt a lot and at that point I was 28 and I'm thinking okay what's the long-term vision here and and what are your main um goals you know what are your what what, what do you want to truly have your legacy be with your children and, and I just felt a calling that it really wasn't anything to do with football you know they weren't going to care what the dad did as an NFL player um, but they wanted dad to be around and and healthy and play with them and that mixed with obviously not wanting to move again having been released from the Saints and, and just just really a, a content sense that it was time to, to move on and and um, you know, find something else to do. What is that Monday morning like for you, James, after a Sunday game as a linebacker when you're just hitting people for 60 minutes and you got to wake up Monday morning? What is that like? Describe what that's like to the oh, non-NFL player. Yeah, it's hard to describe. I mean, it's you're sore all over. Um, a lot of times on Mondays you go into the facility and they, they have you do, uh, you know, some striders to try to run the soreness off. Um, and, you know, early in your career, it it really didn't feel that much different than college. But I think as I got later in the career, you know, the knee would be swollen a lot. You have to make a decision whether you wanted to get it drained. So I had a day to kind of rest. Um, and I remember my last year in St. Louis, I had it drained that season um, three or four times. Um, and you're, you're sitting there watching them, you know, take a needle of fluid out um, of your knee and then it, you know, goes down, but then you have to ice it for a day. And you're just going through all this and then the mental – grind of okay not only do I have to prepare mentally for our game plan in the next week and yada 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 but I got to figure out what kind of preventative exercises I can try to do to keep my knee strong and my quad and all of this to make sure that it doesn't continue to get worse and I think over time that's just kind of what happened you, you, the knee start my, my right quad right now is way smaller than my left just from compensating and all you know over the last few years uh, that you just couldn't exhausted um so it but those mondays are, are no joke and they they are exhausting but um well i think the, what, the one thing that fans don't understand is the amount of preparation 
from a physical standpoint that you guys have to do just to get ready to play on Sundays? Can you take us sort of inside that world? You kind of alluded to it with having your knee drained, but even just to kind of work through pain, work through soreness, work through injuries, you know, there's a difference between being injured and being hurt, as they say, working through that just to get on the field on a Sunday to play. Yeah, I mean, you have to, I mean, a a normal week, you're going through not only all the film studying and stuff, but you have a workout on Mondays, Um, they usually have a workout on Wednesdays and a Thursday or Friday option, Um, at least we did when I was with the Rams, and so you're still working out three days a a week, and you're still doing some version of a, of a squat and, and a lot of Olympic lifts, depending on every team's different um, with their strength program, but you're still working out. And so your days are, you know, get there early in the morning and try to get a workout in before, you know, meetings and then sit meetings all day, then practice and then go back and try to recover. And then there's, you're doing cold tub um, stuff. You're doing, uh, which is usually for 10 to 15 minutes after practice. And then after that, you're doing, uh, you know, Normatech has a really cool product. They're called these recovery boots where you put them in and they basically put compression on your legs and, and mimic kind of almost a, a flushing massage down your legs. I mean, those are amazing. So you're, you're doing those at home later at night. So even when you get home from the facility, you're not really just checking out. You're, you're thinking, okay, I bought a pair of those boots just for the pure fact that I could go home basically a half hour to 45 minutes earlier from the facility and not do those things there. Um, and then you continue to ice everything. So speaking of my knee or whoever it is, right, their specific nagging injury or maintenance injury, you're consistently icing even at home, whether it's 15 on minutes on, 15 off over and over until you go to bed. So it's like a consistent process for a solid, you know, how many ever weeks, 20 weeks with the preseason, um, even longer with, you know, camp. It, it is a, it is a true grind. Um, and I think sometimes a lot of people just assume that we just show up, we practice, we watch a little tape, and and that's it. I mean, now you're constantly being evaluated of, hey, this is what we practiced. You're going to watch tape of what you just practiced. So if you make a mistake, you're not going to hear it on the field. You're going to hear it in the meeting room again. And you might hear it the next day. And so you're going to continue to – it's just a continued evaluation. Uh, Greg Williams used to say all the time, one of my favorites, every day is an interview. And you're either interviewing really well or poorly. And mm-hmm. it's – there's never uh, kind of an in-between, and I've really t- tried to take that forward in the kind of everyday life or whatever I'll do next. It's just that mindset of every day is an interview and, and try not to interview poorly. We're talking to James Laurinaitis, the former NFL linebacker here on the Sports Spectrum Podcast. Now, the 2017 NFL season is upon us, James. Opening day is very soon. What do you think that first Sunday is going to be like for you not having a game to prepare for? You know, I think it'll be um, – Kind of mixed emotions. I'm sure. What, I mean, once you, my biggest thing won't be won't be hard watching it on TV. I think for me, it'd be the first time I actually decide to go to a pro game again. Um, because when you're there and you can you hear the crowd, that's where your juices get flowing. You know, that's where your your passion and all that will kind of start to to come up. Uh, you know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lie. If I if I go to a training camp practice, I'm not gonna miss it. <laughs> you know, if I go watch. Uh, there's probably a good chance. My wife's from outside the Cleveland area, so I'll probably go see Greg at some point and his son Blake, who I played for, and try to watch a Browns practice. And uh, I, I guarantee I won't miss watching camp practice. But you know, if it's like a Sunday game, doesn't matter who's playing, and I'm there, and I'm able to be, you know, in the crowd or on the sidelines. That's where it's going to be. Um, 
probably the hardest. Uh, I still get that way when I go back to Ohio State games. I mean, even when I was playing in the NFL, I'd go back to an Ohio State game. My wife and I went back to, to the Michigan-Ohio State game this last year. And you talk about a, a feeling where I was like, gosh, if I could just run out of the tunnel in the shoe one more time, you know, and, and play in that game. So that will be there. But I think on the other hand, too, it's been it's been really um, – relaxing to not go through an OTAs to not go through a mini camp and all that stuff and even an off-season program um, but I'm trying to train my body to kind of work out differently you know you work out all these Olympic lifts all these years and now there's there, you're trying to I'm trying to keep some of my muscle tone you know without without uh, having to really put on size and so you know, a lot of my friends are giving me a hard time because they say I'm getting skinny. I'm like, well, I just, I just don't need the massive neck anymore. <laughs> you know, I don't, exactly. I'm not taking on, I'm not taking on guards. And, you know, that's the hard thing about playing Mike linebackers. It's not necessarily tackling uh, running backs. It's, you got to hit these, you know, huge guards, guys like Logan Mankins and, and try to control them and then throw off and then make a tackle a lot of times before you're even ready for the contact. And, uh, those are the over and over hits that you're just like, goodness, I won't be missing. I won't be missing those. No, I can imagine. We're talking to James Laurinaitis here on the Sports Spectrum Podcast. Now, I want to go back, James, a little bit for you and just your your youth and growing up in sports culture. It's a little bit different of a sports culture. Your dad, Joe, many of many of the people who, who know your story know he was a wrestler. He was Road Warrior Animal and one half of the legendary Road Warriors tag team duo. I was a Big, huge wrestling fan as a kid, so I certainly had their dolls as a as a young a young boy growing up. And I got to imagine for you, life growing up was a bit different than the average kid whose dad's working a nine to five teaching job like mine was. Yeah, you know it. It was. I, I'm not sure I really realized how different it was. You know, when you're young, because that's all I knew that dad did. But um, as you get older and you look back, and you know, your dad, my dad used to coach a lot of my sports. Um, and heck, a lot of our jerseys were like Legion of Doom t-shirts and he would wear like the, uh, like a string tank top version of that shirt, you know, like the gold gym style where it's, and my dad at the time was 310 and just massive. So, um, <laughs> you look back and I'm like, well, no wonder why so many umpires were afraid to call something a ball or, you know, whenever he was, he would yell at the up because you have this monster over here giving him a hard time. Um, and, and really just going to the shows and, and all that, that was, that was fun, but that's what dad did. I mean, a normal Monday night for us at home was making sure we had the VHS ready and he would usually call and say, Hey, I'm going to be in the first hour or the second hour of raw. And, um, he tried to tell me what segment if he could. And so I knew kind of when to be ready. And his version of watching tape of himself was making sure I pushed the record button as soon as I heard, Oh, what a rush, you know, but that was a normal Monday. And so, Looking back, I now realize, uh, yeah, it definitely wasn't a normal childhood, but um, but that's all right. He tried to make it as normal for us as he possibly could and, and did the best he could. You must have had the easiest Halloween costume every single year. Man, I was my dad. <laughs> I was my dad, I think, three times growing up. And the youngest the youngest was when I was, you know, they used to make um, the little foam shoulder pads and the spikes came with it and you could screw them in, uh, just twist them in and I was I was that. Uh, my dad uh, would have the the costume um, kind of designers at WWE make small replica tights of him and Hawks for my brother and I, and um, we would heck, we were we were them one Halloween together, and then when I was in high school, I was him again. And I think once in college, I think I wore the exact in high school. I wore his actual pads. 
which was that's cool. which was not it was cool, but it was hard. You know, it's, hard, it's tough to go to like a house party when <laughs> you know you got these. Um, how do I say it? You got these metal spikes sticking out, and so you're trying to move out of the way, and you're punching holes in drywall, and you're like, you know what? That, I'm not sure this is really working. Now, is, is there a story you can share, you know, maybe a behind-the-scenes story of getting to meet maybe some of – I don't even know. Were they heroes of yours, the guys that you would watch your dad wrestle, uh, you know, WWE or WCW event? Or, what, is there a behind-the-scenes story or two that you can share? Man, you know, there's there's so many. Some of my favorite memories were, um, gosh, when I was really young, my dad took us out to California, my brother and I, and – um, just hanging out pre-match and and um, like seeing Ultimate Warrior put on his you know strings around his arms and having Oreos with Earthquake and Typhoon and um, <laughs> you know those were some of the fun ones because that's when they were like really your heroes like you know the big guys but then as I got older some of my favorite memories um, were just sitting around having a beer with Stone Cold Steve Austin at one of the WrestleManias talking about college football. Um, and, and, um, talking to Undertaker about college ball and, and the pros and, um, and you start to realize just differently, not only these are still my heroes, right? These are still people that I watched growing up, but then you're also older and you realize, um, you know, it's work just like dad did. Um, and so you have an actual conversation with them and talk about stuff that you're passionate about as well, being football. And that's kind of where it was kind of a, an aha fun, you know, little moment there with, with that. Um, do you guys yeah, do you I mean, watch wrestling? Do you, do you still watch I, wrestling? You know what? I don't. I um, I just it's hard. It's it's hard because I feel like every every everybody has their own era of their their heroes, and so now with if the whenever like the Rock comes back and tries to do a little match or something, I'll usually tune in just because he's one of the most entertaining um, superstars. I think the business. And I think he really changed the whole business of wrestling. To be honest yeah. with you. Yeah. Um, you know, Dwayne did a really good job of, especially at a time when it was still unscripted as far as their interviews. You know, a lot of the stuff they'd be like, "Hey, we want you to pinpoint these messages," but you really had a lot of freedom to um, improv. And so, I remember when it was back in the early '90s. You know, they'd do those interviews right before the matches, right? And it'd be like just my dad and Hawk screaming that they were gonna beat demolition and then they go wrestle where the rock really made it an art form and obviously turned it into a career in the, in Hollywood. Um, but now that's a whole lot of the, the business is these promos and drawn out segments of where it's just talking. There's not a whole ton of wrestling all the time anymore. Um, so it's very, it's, it's just different. And the rock, I think it's, gets credit for that. Absolutely. Now in your youth, I read that you were a pretty good hockey player as well. So when did football, and you probably probably played more than one sport, but when did football kind of become that passion of yours? Yeah, football, I mean, it was, I mean, since I was really little, I remember my, my parents having me for Halloween one year, really young, when I had the little Vikings um, uniform get up on. And I, I, uh, I've always just had like a passion for, for the game. I started playing in fourth grade. Um, I always loved playing at recess before then when you could actually play with pads on. I, I don't know what it was because growing up in Minnesota, hockey was definitely like the sport when you were bored in the winter and you had nothing to do. Um, and it was cold enough outside. You went and skated on a pond, you know, that was just, that's what you did as like a, as a boy growing up in Minnesota. So, Everyone always asked me, like, why didn't you play hockey? I was like, I don't, I don't know. I just had a drive and, like, a passion for football. And I think it was the team component of it. I love the idea of um, 
like there are still stars in, in football and on every team, but regardless of how many big name stars on any team, you truly can't win unless you have a lot of support around them. Where there's a lot of sports, um, I think less so now with the NBA um, and basketball, just because all these super teams are forming. But even some some team can make the playoff with one star, you know, and and then a bunch of people around them. But in football, it's just such a team game that it really made me fall in love with it. Um, but yeah, I played three sports up until my freshman year in high school. And then I stopped playing baseball, um, after that. And I only stopped because the coach basically gave me an ultimatum and said, if every sports overlap in high school, but my baseball coach used to say, if you're going to, you know, not be there for spring training and yada, 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 because of hockey, then, you know, maybe we, you know, it's not going to work. And hmm. I'm just like, all right, well, I'm going to choose, I'm going to choose hockey. But, um, I'm a big fan of, of not being too selective with, especially with kids, um, and just kind of choosing one sport and going at it, unless they only like one sport, that's a different thing. But I think even back when I was in high school, the whole like selective sports, um, was a problem and I'm sure it's just gotten worse. So growing up in Minnesota, you end up at Ohio state as you referenced. Tell me about the recruitment period from high school to college and how you ended up as a Buckeye. Yeah, I wasn't very highly recruited. Um, I was a three-star coming out. Uh, I had really most of my offers were um, D1, AA um, at that time, you know, North Dakota State, um, a lot of the Dakota schools. Um, Minnesota was my one main D1 offer. Um, and then just as fate would have it, I, I just uh, – one of the coaches at Ohio State saw me play and, you know, recruited the Minnesota area. And I don't think – I think it was like the 30s, the last time before me that they had a Minnesotan on the roster. Hmm. Um, and so it was just – it's not a – Minnesota wasn't a hotbed. I'm not sure it still isn't for, for college <laughs> football, you know, especially for Ohio State. But um, but Coach Trussell's brother recruited that area and was our running backs coach. And um, as fate would have it, they just – you know, had interest and a lot of moving parts kind of happened where certain guys were committed and um, then decommitted and went to other schools that scholarship opened up. And you know, I guess the rest is history, but I, I really, I was committed to Minnesota. My best friend from, from high school and still one of my really good friends growing up, Dominique Barber, him and his brother, Marion played at Minnesota. Sure. Um, Dom was a year older than me. And um, so having a be, you know, 20 minutes from my hometown, um, my best friend goes there. Um, there are a lot of reasons to stay, but for some reason, when I walked on campus in Columbus and, and being in the meeting room with Jim Trestle, not only did you have a sense that he was going to take care of you for four or five years, but you sense that goodness, this place is football. You know, it knows football. Um, there's a special brotherhood amongst all the current players and former players, the alumni, uh, a very proud university, obviously, I'm sure annoyingly to a lot of <laughs> opposing fan bases, but there was just a feel about it that, you know what, if I really want to try to pursue and play pro football and I can't do it going through Ohio State, then you know what, I'm not good enough because I'm going to be given every opportunity with the weight room, with um, at that time I was learning under Anthony Schlegel and A.J. Hawk and Bobby Carpenter. If I can't make it through here, then you know what? I'm not good enough. I don't want to have any excuse of being like, well, I went to a, you know, a, another school that wasn't really. No, I wanted to have, go to a spot that had a good linebacker tradition, a, a place that uh, basically had it all. And 
And so I chose there. And after Ohio State offered me, some other schools had called, and I think it kind of popped on their radar, like, okay, why did Ohio State offer this kid? But I really still only claim that I had two two offers, um, and I don't really credit those other ones that came after. It seemed to work out pretty well for you, obviously, doing extremely well at Ohio State, two-time Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year. What was that like, just that time playing with Ohio State? I, I got to tell you, James, last year I went to my first Ohio State game myself in Columbus, immediately was hooked. I don't really have a team that I root for in college, and it was just amazing to see the atmosphere and the fans. It was just insane. So for what you, game was, was it? Uh, it was the Nebraska game. Okay. The Nebraska game. I think they won yeah. like 62-3 to three or something like yeah. that. They, <laughs> I mean, they blew them out. And it was a Saturday night, and it was prime time, and it was just we got to go there early and walk around Columbus and kind of see the town and, and just watch. I mean, the fans were there at 9 a.m. for an 8 oh, o'clock yeah. game. They were just insane. That atmosphere was awesome. So I just for you to be able to – to say you played college football for four seasons at the Ohio State University, what was that time like for you? Uh, it was amazing. It was, I mean, it was—it's one of those times where you, um, for one, it, it you really felt like you grew up under Coach Tress. But just being in Columbus, um, Columbus is still growing. It's a—I it's like Columbus. It's a really nice city. Um, there's a lot of positive things uh, that I love about it. It's a good f- place to raise a family. Um, I really enjoy uh, the downtown area there and campus obviously is beautiful. There's just a lot going on. But when I look back, like you said, you experienced it. Like the people are there. It's an all day affair. People are going to live and die by Ohio state. Um, But there's also such a network of just, of just charity and giving back that people, not only that play ball, but just all around the community, like, that are all about just furthering great causes through the school. Now the school is the main driving force of Columbus and, um, but just being there for those four years and saying you played there. Um, to be honest, I think I was naive when I first went there as far as like what it was going to take to play and all that. And I think I was, st- I was still that way when I went to the NFL. Like I remember being in high school telling people that I wanted to, to play in the NFL and, and I'd really other people's parents like laughing at me and being like, well, that's cute. You know, like what we really want to do. I didn't have any other plans, but I wasn't like, I was just like, I didn't think I was that good to play in the NFL, if that makes sense. But I just didn't have any other plans. Like I was just, you're going to wake up, you're going to play football. And that was it. You know what I mean? Like there's everything was going to be a, a striving towards a goal. Um, and I didn't really realize I could probably play in the NFL until after my junior year, when I put my name in for the, you know, the whole draft, whether we, where you'd go and what you want to do, all that thing. But even then, I was like, okay, I'll just go get drafted somewhere, and then I'll just play and hope whatever. And then a second deal came, and I was like, awesome. The next thing you know, you're eight years done, and you're like, well, I'm going to move on. you know. But that was yeah. just what I – it wasn't ever like – now, I worked my rear end off for it. I didn't just – you know. but it's not – I just didn't have a backup plan, I guess, which looking back, I'm like, gosh, that's probably a really bad idea. But I'm sure a lot of people try to tell me me to have a backup plan I just had no interest in it well you're locked in on your football career too and I want to ask you what uh is there a one moment in your four years at Ohio State that sticks out like that one moment whatever it is whether it was a game or a conversation you had with a coach or somebody is there that one moment that sticks out to you it's like that's the one that's the moment well there's one game um it was junior year up at Washington Jake Locker was a freshman. Um, I had a really good game. Uh, a lot of things just fell my way. I mean, I stuck my hand 
not a one play and picked off a shovel pass. I mean, that, I don't even know how it happened still. It's like I had Velcro <laughs> on my hand. Not, my hands aren't that good. Um, but it was one of those games, like, it was two interceptions, like, I think uh, double-digit tackles, a, a sack. It's one of those games that it was just like, yeah, you know, that things came together. It's hard to explain when, like, like things just happen for you in a football game. It's, it's a really weird feeling. And there's not, not a lot of games that it happens like that. But um, it really – that was one, but there's a lot of conversations, um, specifically with Luke Fickle, my, my linebacker coach and, and Cody coordinator at that time, now the head coach at the University of Cincinnati, that um, were not only things that helped me become a, a, a better leader and a better man, but um, just challenging me constantly. Um, whether I had a really good game or a really bad game, the, the grading was the same. It was going to be extremely hard um, because he knew he didn't do it to be um, a jerk. He did it because he he knew what you could do on the field, and so he expected and you know, basically demanded perfection, um, knowing that it wasn't attainable, but also not letting yourself slip by saying, "Well, gosh, we're all going to have bad plays." Like, no, like he didn't want you to ever have that mindset, you know. Um, and so I, I credit Luke for a lot of a lot of my success made me a hell of a lot tougher as a linebacker, put me in uncomfortable situations and, and, you know, dared me to compete. And so really, I just remember back in college, how fun it was to do like workouts. I mean, 6 AMs and, 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 uh, the, the grinding, like tough stuff that like sucked while you did it. But remember just getting like this, this almost high off of the workout to where like I could compete and just go and like have a motor that never ran, you know, ran out. And it was fun, and it was with like a bunch of guys that you were just grinding and, and trying to accomplish a championship with, um, which is over the last few years, it's kind of like uh, it's gotten a lot really hard to work out because goodness, going upstairs hurts. You can imagine how a squat or change of direction feels when you're shuffling or all that. But back when you're young at Ohio State, you could do that without thinking about it and go all day long, and that's where it was really it was really fun. But th- those moments with Coach Fick are really what stick out to me. We're talking to James Laurinaitis here on the Sports Spectrum Podcast. This is a podcast on faith and sports, James. So I want to talk about your faith walk, when you made Jesus Christ Savior of your life. I want to talk about when that started and, and just ask you uh, to share with us sort of your your journey through walking with the Lord. Yeah, you know, it, it started when I was a freshman in high school. Um, I, I always say before then, we always would go to church, you know, after the choir got done singing. Um, usually on Christmas and Easter is when we would go to church, you know, yeah. my, my dad, my dad, uh, would always park and, you know, say he was a visitor, you know, like first time visitor cause he didn't want to, you know, get in the crowd, getting out of church. And so he'd be awful. And he'd be like, no, we're not a first time visitor anymore just because it's the first time. And he'd be like, well, it's the first time this year. So, I'm, you know, I'm pulling up in those cones <laughs> anyway, but that's funny. That's, that's where we were before. Um, really uh, a lot of, um, things happened that, that led up to really my dad and I coming to Christ at the same time. Um, my sister as well. It, it was all around the time my, my dad was kind of uh, wrestling with some kind of career issue, stuff like that. And, and a member of the power team um, was kind of in his gym and basically approached him out of nowhere, asking him if he knew who Jesus was and what he was about. My dad was like, well, I know who he is. You know, he was, he was like, I was raised Catholic, so I know who he is. He's like, no, like, do you really know him? And so my dad threw 
the whole power team show, the amazement of all the phone book ripping and tearing and all that. Cause my dad naturally is, you know, strong himself. So yeah. he, we were led that day or called, um, basically to accept at the end of one of those performances, which happened to be held actually at our church, ironically enough, which if you're a believer and then you, you know, that God moves in, in really mysterious ways where when you look back, you can kind of say, okay, yeah, that was, that's the spirit moving and connecting some of the dots. Um, but I like to say from really freshman year of high school on, um, it's all about, and, and as you know, as a believer, your, your chart is not like this straight line of just, it's sailing, you know, right. um, just directly northeast on a graph, right? You're, you're not just constantly going up. It's more like the stock market, right? You have um, things that go up and down and it's all about, which is why grace is such a, a big, um, a big thing that you really have to grasp. And I think as a new believer, you, it, it's even almost overwhelming still having been a believer for so long, the, the concept of grace, how there's nothing that I can do um, that will make God love me anymore you know, it, it, it's mind blowing to me that when he looks down on me, he just sees Christ and what he did. He doesn't see, you know, my shortcomings. Um, there's a pe- pastor, you know, him, Scott Sauls, uh, sure. who he says all the time, you're way worse than you ever think you can be, but you're also more loved than you ever think you are. And he, he said the other, in one of his books, he talked about how we're all just, um, we all need to be humble hypocrites. He's like, you hear all the time about Christians being, people say you're a Christian, they expect you to be perfect, right? They expect you to be like Jesus. He's like, but we're just not. And he goes, and the truth is we're not going to be on this side of heaven. So how can we, you gotta be a humble hypocrite because we're all going to preach certain things and then we're going to fall short. But how do you humbly admit when you fall short and don't just try to throw Bible verses and all that back out? And I think that's been a lot of my walk. You know, you, you climb a little bit, you grow and then you have new challenges. You go off to college the first time and you know, you're partying on Saturday night, trying to go to church on Sunday and, um, figuring all that out, you know, really, what does it mean to, to basically respond out of gratitude for what's been done for you on the cross versus out of like a, a, an obligation. And I think you just get convicted by the spirit over time. He just strips away certain parts of your life. If you stay faithful to it and keep trudging on towards, you know, your goals, he starts to tear away certain things about yourself that you didn't like. And so there's habits that you used to do that you don't do anymore. And they sometimes you want them to change overnight, as you know, I'm sure, but they don't. They, they take a while. Um, and so I, really, I, I think through, I've been blessed to really find a lot of great people every step of the way through my career. Um, in college, Tom Rohde was our Athletes in Action leader, a guy who has a beautiful heart for the Lord. He would chase me down even when I didn't want to meet him. I'd forget that I had I was supposed to meet him in like the hall of the Woody Hayes Center there at Ohio State. I tried to go through the weight room. He'd find me, you know. <laughs> and next thing you know, I'm like begrudgingly doing these studies. But it was it was just the him pursuing, and then the conviction that those studies did would would gradually change some of my behavior in college. And then the same way, when I got to the NFL, um, it was really lucky to stumble upon my rookie year an awesome church there in St. Louis, the Crossing. Um, John Dubrock was an associate pastor there um, who has really become um, like a, a second father figure to me, you know, or like a great uncle and a friend, just um, a guy that I talk to still once every week or two and, and catch up and um, just a, a great network of people that have uh, basically helped not only challenge me, but also um, be, be open doors that I can talk to and not feel judged kind of thing. Uh, 
and the same thing in Nashville, you know, with, with being at going, finding a good church. And, uh, so wherever I've been, I've been blessed to have a good crowd around me and, and really help and, and just people who will speak truth when you need to hear it. And in college, I needed to hear a lot of truth. Um, especially after my freshman year, I was a little, a little too arrogant for, you know, I had a lot of friends who would speak truth to me and, and really had to be humbled to come back around to it. But that's kind of just been my, my faith walk, right? You take a few steps up, maybe a step down. I think early on when you're young, you take a lot of steps down and then you try to climb back up. But as long as you try to climb back up over and over and over, you start to get a bigger, more mature and wise look at what it really means to be a follower of Christ. Is it harder to be a follower of Christ in college or in the NFL? And I, I say that only because both in college and the NFL, when you're doing well, you're a star, you're, you're having so much success, you know, you're revered, you're, you're idolized, you're loved by so many fans, you're given probably, uh, you know, more than you can possibly imagine as far as like opportunities and, you know, even just like dinners, never having to pay for dinner or whatever. Is it difficult to sort of navigate that sort of uh, humility that we were supposed to demonstrate in Christ when you're walking through this college and this NFL experience? Oh, I definitely think so. Um, I think it's, it's hard in both situations. I think it's hard just in general, but I mean, every, every person is going to face temptation and, um, you know, a lot of traps along the way that the enemy puts out there. But when you are given a ton of money in the NFL, when you're coming out a lot more than you ever had in college, <laughs> you know, no matter what, where you're drafted, sure. you, you get a, you get a nice chunk of money that you didn't have before. I, I heard a quote one time that says money just escalates who you are, you know, and that's all. So whether you're, so if you're in a, in a bad spot, it's just going to escalate things, you know? Um, mm -hmm. And I think, and I go back to being like a humble hypocrite, right? Like you can go to church, you can have all these things in your mind, like and you can truly seek after him. Um, and in the Bible, it's like David, like David was a man after God's own heart, yet he had adultery and then had a, conspiracy to murder the you know what i mean her her husband in the bot yeah. there, there's a lot going on there but he's but god says he was a man after my own heart that is so I, I really i feel like you're judged either way at whatever level right because if you say you're a christian and for me especially i have tattoos all over me that have bible verses on them and stuff but as soon as i preach something and then i um do something that is um, hypocritical to what i preached it's like someone's just waiting to snare you always right they're just ready to catch you like well blah 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 you can't be a you know it's like listen i i know i'm gonna fall short and i'm and i'm working on it you know i'm trying but i'm still i'm still human um and i'm trying to get better at it you know and so it's hard either way but i think it's really hard in college because you're just younger um it gets hard in the nfl because you get a bunch of cash that escalates what you already are and, and you just got to hope that you have people around you that are going to challenge you and, and and really try to surround yourself with teammates that will help help you to grow as well but also not just not just get in the holy huddle and and kind of disconnect from the real world right i mean um in scott's book Saul's book that i was talking about earlier he he mentions that jesus walked with all of the sinners of the world like he went exactly where the religious elite didn't expect him to go they, he didn't just sit there um you know in his church group and listen to um, K love and, you know, <laughs> the message on XM and, yeah. you know what I mean? Like he didn't just sit there. He went out and talked to the prostitutes and to the tax collectors and was there present. So he doesn't disconnect himself, but he's also 
knows kind of what he represents. Um, so I think there's there's some truth to that as well. You gotta find you gotta find really who you are. And I think really in time, if you can stay consistent with it and and not beat yourself up, I used to beat myself up over, all the time over my shortcomings all the time. Um, I and I think naturally because as an athlete, you're so performance based, right? So a lot of my performance on a Sunday was because of my preparation leading up to it. So I felt that if I was doing Bible study and all this, whatever, and then I sinned again, it was like, oh gosh, I failed, you know? But it's not like that when it comes down to grace and what Jesus did. And there's truly a a thing you have to kind of just let go and kind of recoup and keep going and keep pushing forward. Yeah. Now being married, having kids and the responsibility factor that comes into that, that's a whole different ballgame. At least it was for me being a believer. I'm sure it has been for you as well. Oh, you bet. <laughs> you bet. I mean, <laughs> there's no pure love that I felt in my life. Um, besides my, my, my wife, for one, is is um, rock solid, just honest with me. I mean, she we've been together since college. So she, she's been able to see through my BS from a long time ago. Um, but she's also seen the very best of me. And so she's seen both. And she knows where my heart is. And so having her, um, as my life partner, I, I mean, just beyond blessed to, to, to be able to do life with her, um, because she challenges me in a way that, um, like there's, just, she just thinks of things. There's no way that I think, I mean, that's, that's just a man, a woman, right? I mean, it's yep. the way I think and the way she thinks are just completely different. And she's right, probably ninety five percent of the time. Um, I'm gonna make sure she doesn't that's listen to this marriage, podcast. That's how a marriage goes. She's right? not listening to this podcast. <laughs> I'm not letting it. But, but when you become a parent, it's just like there's a whole nother selfless, like just love, like that opens your eyes. I think, even, especially for me as a believer, when I when I saw London be born, and even with Hayden, it's just like no matter what that baby does, no matter how frustrated you could be london was extremely colicky for six months so no matter how many like screams where you want to bang your head on the wall mm-hmm. there's nothing she can do that's going to make me love her less nothing and that's really the first time where i think i grasped that about our lord it was there's nothing i can do because i've accepted him that's gonna say you know what you're not redeemable you're not you know what i mean you can't like you're i'm, I'm here waiting like there's nothing you can do that i'm just gonna cast you away if you just repent and come back, you know what I mean? Does that make sense? Like there's just, it's like the prodigal child story didn't make sense. Like it was hard to resonate until you had your own child. And you're like, you know what? Yeah, I get that. I get that. Like if I have one of my two girls is just out of control, I would absolutely be extremely excited when she came back. And so there, I think a lot of the stories just kind of hit home a lot more, a lot of the stories in the Bible and, and I think it's really just strengthened my faith. And obviously I'm responsible for two more human beings. Not only am I responsible for my wife and doing yeah. life together with her equally, but two little girls, um, especially in a, in a day and age where um, there's just a lot of stuff, as you know, being a, a parent to a daughter, there's a lot of stuff you have to worry about. Oh yeah. And, and I, and I got about hopefully 10 years, maybe eight years before they start to, but, but even already, I mean, she puts a dress on, she runs to the mirror and I'm just like, Oh my goodness. <laughs> and, you know, and I'm like, it does not matter. Like, you look beautiful no matter what you wear. You know, like, just, yeah. And you can speak that into her now. You don't have to wait no till doubt. she's a teenager. You know, no, that's absolutely. important. And I do now. And 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 um, no matter what, I mean, even just just telling her things of of um, you know why Daddy loves you is because who you are on the inside. Or trying to affirm her behavior. Um, 
you know, over just, Oh, you know, baby, you look beautiful, you know? Um, so there, yeah. And I've read goodness, numerous books about it. Um, and I'm going to have to reread them, right? Cause she's only, she's just turning three in September. So I'm gonna have to reread them over and over again. But, um, I really don't feel like there's a handbook. So if anyone who's listening, who's about to be a parent, there's no book that will prepare you. There's none, um, that will actually prepare you for, for what you're about to encounter. Yeah, and, gotta... and people would ask me, I'm sure they ask you, what's it going to be like when I become a dad? You can tell them your experience, but their experience is going to be completely different. And oh, e- yeah. even if I have that same, you know, sort of unconditional love, like you say, or my daughter's colicky or whatever, my experience with my daughter and raising her is going to be different than yours. It's going to be different from your friends or whatever. So you can give yep. all the advice you want. And it's, yep. it's really a learning process, a daily learning process on your own, your own experience. Well, absolutely. And, and I mean, and you know, that's when, when, you, when your wife is pregnant and you find out everyone else's story anywhere you go. I mean, you can't check out at Target without someone seeing the bump and being like, oh, I remember when I gave birth <laughs> and it was and you're like, <laughs> so when you're a first time parent, you're like, oh, my gosh, there's so many horror stories. There's good stories. What's our going to be like? And then both for both of our daughters were were different stories. And, and even the the upbringing of both of them right now, they, they've just been different. Um and as Hayden will continue to grow, she's three months now, um, already wearing six-month-old stuff. So I'm, she probably got the Lauren Ice side of the jeans, a lot of her. But she's already <laughs> in six-month um, outfits. And, and I think at her last checkup, she was in the 95th percentile. So she's she's doing good. She's not missing a meal. But, <laughs> but So even both of them, like London was always super, like, kind of just right at 60% just normal size and it's just everything's different man you just gotta take it in stride and live and learn and can't beat yourself up too much and apologize and you need to apologize to your kids even when they're young when you make a mistake uh, because you're gonna make plenty so it's just man there's there's nothing like it but what i what i do love about being a parent is just being able to try to put it instill into them um just that they're loved more than they can ever know um and and hope that they rest in that and like i said earlier when i had i have plenty of friends who are really good dads and and that that gentleman john who i mentioned he has um two daughters um one's about to be a senior uh and the way that she adores her dad like i always tell him like man you did something right you know what i mean because not only does he work in the church but you know he has he's got two girls and a boy the boy's the middle kid but all three of their kids still involved in the church and still um, you can just tell they look to their dad as like just a, a warrior and but like a, a tender hearted warrior, you know, like the true, he used to say to me all the time, especially about playing ball. He's like, look, you got to know when to be the lion and know when to be the lamp. You got to know which, when, when to be what. And he always just had this, this humble, just wisdom about him. And so I'm always like, well, you got to give me your parenting book. Um, and just to see her way her daughter really respects her. I think that's a lot of it too, is if your kids respect you, then they'll, they'll listen more. And so, no doubt, but man, I'm already, I'm already, can you tell I'm already scared? For, <laughs> for, <laughs> fear, healthy future. fear is a good thing. And, and, and what's is. cool is that nothing else will matter uh, on this earth. You know, like you could say, oh, I played football at Ohio State for eight years. I can talk about all the accolades, ESPN, whatever, but it's, it doesn't matter. Uh, if we screw up this whole idea of being a dad and that's where yeah. I think is most important in that. And you definitely have your, you know, your priorities straight, James. Now, just a couple more minutes left. I want to wrap it up here, but before we wrap it up, 
I just want to talk about your future. Okay, so you're not playing in the NFL. We talked about what that's going to be like on Sundays. You and I met at the NFL broadcast boot camp uh, in the spring down in Mount Laurel, New Jersey, and that's where we first kind of got to know each other a little bit. So what's the future looking like for James Laurinaitis? Is it is it broadcasting? It is. It is. For one, the, the job that the player engagement does, uh, you know, putting that on in NFL films yeah. as you've been a part of it is unbelievable. Um the amount of networking you can do, um, the uh, just the, the experience, the knowledge, and, and so I really the the NFL and the player engagement, everything they do needs to be applauded for that. Um, but I I found it extremely helpful, and, and I got I'll actually do some broadcasting here in the fall for it. I'll do some stuff on on Sirius XM, uh, both pro and college. And, and I'll do uh, on Mondays, I'll do some stuff with the Big Ten Network. I actually, it's funny because I went to I went to Chicago twice as a player, right? Doing mm-hmm. the Big Ten media days in late July. And now this year I'll go working for the Big Ten Network. And so I'm trying to just tell myself all the time, don't be asking like the same, uh, you know, obviously cliche questions that you got <laughs> asked. You know, yeah. nothing was worse when you're up there and they're like, oh, what are your goals for the season? Oh, I don't know. We're like, what do you think they are? I want to host a national ch- championship. You know, like that's a, that's yeah. a. That's a lazy question. So I'm trying to think of, of questions. And then you got to figure out, as you know, like how do I ask questions to people who their goals aren't that? You know, mm-hmm. like everyone's going to say, all 14 teams there are going to say, you know what, these are this is our mission here. We want to, obviously. But if you're Rutgers or if you're Maryland, that's not realistic. So what is success to you this year? You know what I mean? So yeah. it's you have to truly think about um, the questions and not just be lazy. And, and But I'm I'm – humbled that I get a chance to get my foot in the door and really start obviously and um, with the Big Ten Network on TV and just have an, an opportunity to, to work a conference that I know obviously a lot about um, but I think a lot of it too as we were talking about going back to, to being a dad you know when I was trying to decide what I wanted to do I know I know I love football and I know I want to be around football so the media gives me a chance to be around the game talk about the game really study it still um, and stay up to date because as I learned at boot camp, it, this is a full-time job. This isn't just like, Oh, I'm going to watch a game on Sunday. I'll collect some opinions about it during the week. Like, no, you're constantly studying all week. You're constantly reading every news story, oh, yeah. um, whether it's pro football talk or the red zone, whatever, right. You're reading every amount of content you can have to be truly informed and, and to try to um, have your own opinion, but you have to also know what's going on, on a daily basis. You can't just shut, you know, turn your mind off for, for a week or two or even a couple of days in today's world. So for me being a father, I was like, you know, what can I do? I can go try to coach. I had some opportunities, both college and pro to go get my foot in that door. But I, at the end of the day, when I sat down and made a list, like what's important to me, I know a lot of my friends who coach who um, are great dads, but they constantly say how they don't get to see their kids enough. And to me, I was like, because I've been blessed financially through the NFL, then I don't have to do that. You know what I mean? And even even if I part of me wanted to and, and wanted to be out there teaching and doing all that, I was like, you know what? It's that's not the route because it doesn't fit up with what I want to be as a father, yeah. um, which is present and, and hands on. The one thing that I will not be and my wife probably tells you I'm, I'm a little too involved, but I I'm not going to be the dad who just sits back, you know, lets mom do all the. Uh, nursing and the diaper changing, all that. Like, no, I'm going to be there, especially when you have number two, you know, <laughs> that, that London became basically all mine once mm-hmm. that happened. And so I want to be hands-on because I want my kids as they grow up to, to think of, you know, how, how much dad loved them and how much dad did for them 
and not, oh, dad was whatever X amount player, but he was an X coach over here and blah, blah, blah. And we moved around a lot. Like, no, let's give our kids a, a foundation. And, and the best thing about media is you can, at least for now, I can travel around and, and be based out of wherever. Yeah, and, and it uh, doesn't hurt. It, there's no pain. No, no there's, exactly. <laughs> there's no there's sickness. No pain. There's no if I coach in college. There's no you know recruiting and trying to do all that. And right. I really feel bad. And I think this is a whole nother conversation and interview. But I really I don't like what the NCAA is doing to college coaching and allowing these summer visits and all this other stuff. Now all you're doing is taking away the maybe one or two weeks that a college coach actually has off. And the whole argument of, oh, they make a ton of money, I, I get that. There, that's another argument, too. I, I understand. But it doesn't mean that they need to be basically worked down like this. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and where in the NFL, I think you'll see a lot of coaches go there because they actually do, with the new CBA, have a have a new kind of offseason themselves. I mean, I know a lot of coaches from my time in St. Louis who had homes in Arizona in the whole month of July. You know, once OTAs were done in June, boom, they're going back to their homes um, they have time off if you don't make the playoffs, right? You have time off after that to go back and then you reconvene for free agency, the draft, and then the off season a little bit, but you truly have like weeks that are off and not just two weeks and that's it. You have, yeah. you have almost like a month and, and, and more in some cases. So it's just a, that was a route I wasn't about to go down just because of, I think of the family factor, um, and like we talked about being present, I had to, I had to actually look at my. And that was the first time I was challenged. Like you can say, oh, I want to be a, a, an involved father all the time. Okay, well, when a job opportunity comes that's going to go against what you value, mm-hmm. then you have to sit there and, and truly reassess and be like, no, you're right. I, I, this, this is what I'm committed to. This is what my morals are, and I'm gonna stick to it. Absolutely, can totally relate to that as a man who, who wanted to be more present with his daughter and his time at ESPN. So I totally relate to that. James, last question here, and we do this and ask this to all of our guests here on the podcast. But what is just simply what is God teaching you right now? Uh, he's teaching me uh, really about a lot about patience. Um, I think in this time of uncertainty, really since the time I left the Saints in November until. Um, until I decided, I, I knew right then I was going to try to try it with those two teams. But then after that, it was kind of a, am I going to go coach? Am I not? Am I going to do this? Really just searching. He was teaching me what, have patience for one, um, trust in me that I'm working, that my plan is being basically put before you. Don't try to rush it. Don't try to force your own hand. And I think that's what I was trying to do for a while, right? I was trying to, instead of just letting what, what, was going to come come to me naturally and just and, and taking my time um and the longer you walk with the lord you know that your timing is not his timing at yeah. all in mm-hmm. anything um and you can try to force his will but really trying to listen to what and that's what i try to do i try to force his will and i think by doing that he was just like why don't you just you know relax and don't worry i mean i can't tell you how many times i was like i'm gonna go coach oh no i'm not i'm gonna go do broadcast boot camp ah, maybe i should back out you know and just back and forth like trying to force myself to do something to where it was when I went to broadcast boot camp, I was like, you know what? No, I, th- I think it went well. I think I can do this and, and really be um, happy doing it and, and also stay obviously around football. And, and so I think there's just really a patience and timing and trying to listen for his will and not trying to rush that um, throughout the last how many other months. That's awesome. You, he is James Laurinaitis, the former NFL linebacker, certainly with the Rams and the Saints and Ohio State, the Ohio State University. You can see him on the Big Ten Network, Sirius XM this fall, getting his feet wet in broadcasting. And obviously he's a man who, who loves his kids, loves his wife and loves the Lord. 
On Twitter, James, we can find you at jlaurenitis55, correct? Yes, sir. And on Instagram, jlaurenitis without the 55. So follow him on Instagram and Twitter. And James, thank you so much for the time here. I love talking to you. I loved um, your wisdom and I just love your encouragement and wanting to to do right in the eyes of the Lord with your family. And I just wish you nothing but the best and hopefully we have you back on again. Thank you, man. Anytime. I appreciate it, Jason. And we do appreciate James Laurinaitis as a guest here on the Sports Spectrum Podcast. He was awesome. He just was. He was great. Really awesome to listen to. Awesome stories and just a really keen insight into what it's like to be an NFL player and what that life is like, not just to be an NFL player, but to walk away from the NFL at just the age of 30. So uh, we appreciate James being on the podcast and we appreciate you listening to us here on the podcast. As always, check us out at sportspectrum.com. You can tweet at us at sports underscore spectrum or tweet directly at me at Jason Romano. And as always, we do love it when you leave a review on iTunes on Apple Podcasts. So go check that out. Leave a review uh, it, you just go to the podcast page on Apple and you search the podcast Sports Spectrum and then it'll have an area where you can leave a review. Click that button. Tell us what you think of the podcast. It helps get the word out. Uh, Apple likes it when people leave more reviews because more reviews means more people can see the podcast, more people that can see the podcast can listen to the podcast, and more people that can listen to the podcast can hear the name of Jesus glorified through the stories that we're telling. That's the goal. So we love you. We thank you for joining us here on the podcast, and we will see you next time right here on Sports Spectrum. Sports Spectrum.